Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. How much different with Sunday morning's look? If really the prayer of our heart is God's so alive. How much different would it look on Sunday morning? If the church, by and large, instead of wanting to be entertained, really came to seek to be empowered by His Spirit in every facet of our life to say, God, no matter what, so will I. Man, that's the prayer of my heart. That was free. That's not even part of the sermon today. I just got excited singing that with you guys this morning. So grateful you are here. Let me tell you something I've learned as a dad with young kids. You know, kids come with a lot of questions. Everything's a question. Every, I, I mean, we, we, you go buy something in the store, hey dad, how much is that? I got, how did they make cars? How, how did, it meant just absolutely chock full of questions. But you know what? I remember those questions from my childhood. Don't you? Then I remember some of the biggest, most perplexing questions of all. In fact, when I was young, one such question came in the form of a commercial. See if you remember this real quick. Take a look at the screen if you would. I promise it's coming on there. Am my team going to wave me off? Is it good? Mr. Allen, oh, there it is. how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. And that, listen, I remember those were the most important questions of my ch- How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? Do you know how many times I took one of these suckers and I tried that? Tried to answer the question once and for all for the world. I wanted to get about 15 licks in. I had to get to the Tootsie Roll Center. You know how many times we did that? Hey, listen, let me tell you, I love this. Purdue University actually built a model of the human tongue and created some contraption that licked a Tootsie Roll Pop. And do you know how many licks it takes? 364. Never made it to 364, right? Or I had to get into the lollipop. You know, I think of, I think of our childhood and the how, so many how questions that we had. And then I think about my life as an adult. And I still have a whole lot of how questions even as an adult. And here's my question. Are how questions really the most important of all? Are how questions the most important questions you and I can ask? Now, we're going to pick back up with this a little bit later, but today we begin a new series of messages entitled Frame. It is a study grounded in the Garden of Eden. And what we find there in the first few chapters of Genesis, we are going to find many doctrines of our faith established and framed up by God. Now, the idea behind this series is that when you frame something, that which is enclosed in the frame is important and worth displaying. In fact, one of my favorite pictures that sits in my office over at our office building is this. It's just a simple framed-up picture from this past summer, and one of our favorite things to do is a family's crab hunt. Anybody ever been crab hunting? Like, you're really brave if you do that. If you really think to the very end of what crab hunting is, it's terrifying. But we love doing that. And so this is a framed picture of my family. Because you know what? 
And this is worth displaying. This is worth showing people. Hey, and so too are the truths that are found in the first few chapters of Genesis. Genesis, the truths of God's word, are worth framing and displaying for the world to see. Now, last week I challenged you this out of Daniel chapter 3, to be stand-up men and women, teenagers, children, families, in a bow-down world. But for us to stand, we must stand upon something. And church, I want to remind you, the very thing by which we stand is the word of God. We must be stand-up men and women in a bow-down world. So this week, we seek to do that. And we frame up this truth, you ready? In the beginning, God. So let's frame up this truth together today through his scripture. In the beginning, God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen, this ought to be the easiest verse you've ever tried to look up in the Bible, okay? It's at the very beginning. It's the first one. I didn't even go right in the middle. It's right there at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You ready? And it simply states this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hey, look at your neighbor real quick and quote that passage of Scripture. You ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very truth we are going to frame this morning together. Now, anytime we talk Genesis chapter 1, anytime we talk creation, you know what immediately and naturally comes to many of our minds? The how questions, right? How, how did God create the heavens and the earth in just six days? What, was it a literal six days? How, how old is the earth? Is it six to 8,000 years old or is it four to six billion years old? All of these how questions. Really, most important for me is how did these guys go extinct, right? How did these guys get gone? Special thanks to my boy Bennett for letting me borrow his dinosaurs today. But you know, anytime we look at the creation account, the question that really comes to our hearts and our minds is the how. How did God do it? Now, whereas we tend to focus on the how of creation, what amazes me is that the Genesis account focuses us in on the why of creation. Perhaps the why question this morning is the most important for you and I to ask. You see, when Moses sat down, led by the Spirit of God, and he began to pin Genesis 1-1, we begin to see how God focuses his heart and ours as well on the why behind creation. In fact, what we find in Genesis is a historical account. And hear me, church, not a science book. Rather, a historical account of God creating the heavens and the earth and the why behind his creation. Now, you may say this, and I've asked this question. Why doesn't God give more details? In our human nature, we love details. We like the intricacies. Now, here's, what, here's the summation I've come up to. You ready? Why didn't God provide all the details? Because it seems like God's more than comfortable in us not knowing everything. He seems more than comfortable and more than satisfied for us not knowing all the intricate details. In fact, he seems really comfortable with you and I relying on and employing faith 
in the absence of details in the Genesis account of creation. Why God doesn't provide all the details? I love how Village Church framed this up. He says this, We are limited creatures serving a limitless God. You and I, we are limited creatures at best serving a limitless God. Which means this, sometimes we just don't get all the details of how God works and how God moves. Uh, Last Sunday, this could not have been better timing, but last Sunday, Nash, Nash, a little boy in our church, Nash, came up to me while I was standing right back here. I was getting all my computer off the TV, and and he came up and he said, Hey, Pastor Anthony. I said, What's up, Nash? He said, Pastor Anthony, can I ask you a question? I was like, Sure. He goes, Who made God? I was like, Really? That's what you're going with? Who made God? I said, Nash, you know what, buddy? What a good, good question. I said, It's going to be a little hard to understand. But nobody created God. I said, Nash, you know what? Ever since you've been alive and I've been alive, all we've known are things that begin and things that end. I said, not so with God. With God, there is no beginning and there is no end. God has always been. And I looked at him. He looked at me. He grinned. And he said, okay. And he walked away right off stage. And you know what? I I thought to myself, Man, oh, oh, to have faith just like Nash does. Man, I didn't give him any details. And yet he believed. And so maybe today we can approach our Genesis account with the type of faith that Nash has in our God. Here's what I love about Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is that Moses, nor the Spirit of God leading him, really spent much time trying to prove God's existence. You ever notice that? In the beginning, God. In fact, Genesis 1 presents God, His existence, and God as Creator as an unequivocal truth, as an unquestioned reality that simply that God exists. Now, I've heard it said this way. An atheist might look at Genesis 1-1 and say this, Christian, prove God. Whereas I look at Genesis 1-1 and my answer to him is yet another question. Atheists prove there is no God. Prove there is no God. Prove there is no existence of him. That God is not the creator. You see, I want you to hear me. That we as believers accept by faith that God created the heavens and the earth. But I want you to hear me, an atheist, by the same measure of faith, if not more faith, chooses to believe that there is no God. You see, we are all believers. We all exercise faith. And it's really just a question of where your faith lies. Prove that God exists, says the world. But in the words of Adrian Rogers, the finite cannot prove the infinite. Oh, but hear me, church, there's evidence of God all around, and I don't have to convince you of that. Now, oftentimes, people 
will dismiss Christians' claims, our claim of creation as unintelligent. I I want you to hear me. This is not a matter of intelligent or not. This is a matter of faith. Show me a a smart, well-educated man who doesn't believe in God, and I will show you a smart, well-educated man who does. Show me an uneducated man who doesn't believe in God, and I'll show you an uneducated man who does. Church, hear me. This is not a matter of intellect, but of faith. Hey, you ready? One's views on the origins of the universe, of ultimately life itself, is a matter of faith, not intellect. And it really boils down to two differing Starting points. You see, the secular starting point presupposes, you ready? There is no God. Whereas the biblical starting point points to God as creator and the sustainer of all life. Let me remind you what the psalmist says in Psalm 53 1. You ready? The fool says in his heart, There is no God. That word fool in the Hebrew is Nabal. And it doesn't speak of someone who is intellectually deficient or lacking. Rather, it speaks to the person who is morally deficient and lacking. In fact, if we were to take just a strict translation of that verse and the meaning behind it, here's how it would probably read. You ready? The fool says in his heart, No, God. No, God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. But just that a person for their life declares over their life, no God for me. No God for my life. For instance, I've spent time in the mind of Stephen Hawking and Charles Darwin and all these proponents of scientific theories this past week. And what a fascinating study. It has been. You ever take time to look at the Big Bang Theory? I look at a scientific theory like the Big Bang, and really at its heart, the Big Bang Theory simply states there is no God. The Big Bang Theory of science declares for itself no God. And as we see it played out, and you know what the Big Bang's all about, right? It's the theory that suggests that all matter, that all energy, that all space and all time came about through a a singularity, as they call it, just a few millimeters across some 13.8 billion years ago. That this super hot, energized, small bundle, this singularity exploded on the scene 13.8 billion years ago, and here we are sitting today. A product of the Big Bang. And so let me, just in short, Big Bang equals no God. And let me tell you a couple of things that this theory attempts to do. You ready? Hey, number one, the Big Bang theory attempts to dethrone God as creator as if it could. As if it could. We find this, you ready? In essence, we are finding a coup on behalf of creation against its creator. Because here's the deal, you ready? If I could deny Genesis 1-1, if I could deny God as creator, then I am the very God of my life. 
and there's no higher authority. No higher power in my life than me. But not only does the Big Bang Theory attempt to dethrone God, it is an attempt to deny the accuracy and the authority of the Word of God. I want you to hear me, church. You ready? If Genesis 1-1 isn't true, then neither is a single verse in all the rest of the Bible. If you and I can't believe Genesis 1-1, we can't believe any of it. It's an attempt to deny the accuracy and the authority of God's Word. You know, oftentimes I hear this attack about the Bible, which is our sole authority on the origins of the universe and the origins of life. And here's what they say about our Bible. That it's not credible because it was written by men. I have a science book in my hand. Who do you think wrote this? Men. And yet it is seen as the authority, as credibility at its finest. But here's the problem with that. You ready? Christianity, a biblical worldview, has never suggested that the Bible was merely written by men. In fact, we hold to what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 21, when he says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hey, you ready? We hold to Timothy's account that all Scripture is God-breathed. There's where the credibility lies. You see, it's not a matter of intellect, is it? It's a matter of faith. All humanity are believers. It's just a matter where you put your faith. Where your starting point lies. Now, now, Christians, after talking about the Bible and the science book, I mean, should we go marching on our public schools tomorrow demanding that they teach the Bible and creationism? No. God never put the responsibility to teach the Bible or creation on the public schools. Hear me. Rather, He put that responsibility on the greatest and most influential teachers in our children's life, their parents. Those who clamor the loudest for the Bible in prayer and creationism to be taught in school are those who teach it the least in their homes. The responsibility is not on our public schools. It's on the Christian home to do so. As Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 teaches, when it comes to the truths and the commands of God, Impress them on your children, verse 7. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. When I think of the Big Bang, I think of its attempt to dethrone God as creator. I think of its attempt to deny the accuracy and the authority of the Word of God. And I also see its attempt to devalue life. It's an attempt to devalue life. You ready? The theory of the Big Bang leaves humanity as nothing more than sentient beings. You ready? Leftovers 
of the chaos of cosmic proportions. Whereas that may be what the science book teaches. But let me tell you what this book teaches. That every person, as Genesis 1.26 teaches, every person is an image bearer of God and finds their value there. The Bible teaches us again in Psalm 139.14 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the very God who was in the beginning. Who was in the beginning. The scientific theory of the Big Bang says no God, whereas the Bible says in the beginning, God. Now as believers, I I want you to hear me because sometimes we're labeled this way as well. You ready? We are not anti-science. We're not. Science by its very definition is the study of the physical and natural world through observation and experience. An experiment. You ready? I love science because it explores the natural and physical creation of our supernatural God. The beauty found in the physical and natural world reminds me of my Creator. There isn't, you're right, there's not a sunset that I see that I'm not reminded of His faithfulness. As I see lightning flash and I hear thunder roll, I'm reminded of His power. As I look to the mountains, our beautiful mountains, I see his fingerprints. As I look into the waters, I see his reflection. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiworks. But here's my great fear. That many in our secular, scientific communities, many in our culture, are finding themselves in the very description of Romans 125, which says this, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Now I want to say this, and this idea of not being anti-science. As a church, as Christians, we don't need to run and hide from scientific theory. We don't need to always shield ourselves or shield our children from such theories. You know why? Because the truth is on our side. I'm going to tell you something. The study I've done outside of the Word of God this week in science books and in various other works, I walk away from all of it. And by the way, not just this week, for years. My studies in college. I walk away going, listen, this has got some good information But there is nothing that stands up to the Word of God. And I walk away not confused, not scared, but all the more proud and certain that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you hear me, church, you ready? We must lay that foundation in our own hearts and in the hearts of our children. That must be our starting point. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But here's the problem. We take the ever-evolving work of science and we accept it as indisputable fact. And then we look to the Word of God 
and we start finding ways to try to make it fit what science says. We, we start with this science, this indisputable fact, and we try to shape the Bible and its teaching around it. Let me read you the opening for the Big Bang Theory here in this science book. You ready? Indisputable fact. Most, very subjective, cosmologists accept the Big Bang Theory as a realistic model of the origin of the universe. The model suggests that the universe evolved from an extremely condensed prime evil state. And listen to the next sentence in a science book. Nobody knows for sure what really happened during, during the first moments. Now, now hear me. Which takes more to believe? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which one takes more faith to believe? Genesis 1-1 or the opening two sentences of that science book? It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of faith. And where does your faith lie? You ready? As a Christ follower, I begin with the Bible. I hold to its truth unapologetically. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And catch me. If scientific evidence substantiates the biblical account, I don't have any more faith in the Bible because I already believe it anyway. I just have a little more faith in the scientist and the science he's using. What's your starting point, believer? It ought to be Genesis 1. 1. You know, I want you to hear me. Not all of science is flawed. Not everything you read in here, and I'm just that type of nerd that now that this is in my office, I'm going to read a lot that's in here because I just love science. Not everything in here is flawed, but everything in here is truth. Everything in here is truth. Now let's do this, and here's what I know about that truth. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.25, that the word of the Lord endures forever and will stand forever. Now let's go back to Genesis 1, shall we, just for a moment. In Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created there in the Hebrew is bara, and it's used some 50 times in the Bible, but always in reference to God. Because here's the idea of that word created. That God himself created something from nothing. That God created something from nothing. Hear me, church. Only God can truly create. Science, humanity, we, we can't create really anything. We can only discover what God has already made and work from there because we do so out of matter and materials that have already been created by the very hand of God. In the Latin, the word create, we get is ex nihilo. And here's what it means. On the canvas of nothing, God painted everything. Out of the silence of nothingness, God spoke everything into existence. God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 2. Now the earth was... Without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep. And watch this, the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the face of the waters. That word hovering in the Hebrew is used for one description alone. And that is to paint the picture of what a mother bird does over her eggs in the nest. That's the very picture painted of the Spirit of God hovering over this creation story, this creation account. It is a show of how intimately God was involved involved in the creation process. Really, it's a shot at deism which says there was a God, an intelligent designer, and he created it and set it in motion to evolve with a hands-off approach. No, Scripture teaches us that the God we serve, the creator God, is intimately involved and invested in his creation. Look at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you know how many times I walk into a room that's dark with my kids? And I go, let there be light. And I flick on the light switch from behind my back. This is a really cool moment. But I want you to see this. God said. God spoke. God created by speaking. The author of Hebrews would put it this way in Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And I want us just for a moment to look at the only other in the beginning passage in the Bible outside of Genesis 1.1. And you can mark this or turn there, but John 1.1-3 says this. That in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with him in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him there was nothing that was made. Hey, you go, what what word did God speak? What word did God use to create the heavens and the earth? Hear me. Jesus. Jesus, the very one through which God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus, the very one who God made all things. And here's the glory of the gospel in John 14, 1, that the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. But, but let's go back to our questions. If how questions are not the most important questions to ask, what is the most important question of this text? Why? What is the why behind Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's the simple answer. Why did God create? For His glory. For His glory. You may say, well, hey, Pastor Andy, we hear you say that a lot. We hear it talked about a lot in church. We sing about it. But what is really meant by the glory of God? I love what John Piper in Desiring God writes. As he kind of frames this up, he begins to discuss who God is and what his glory is all about. Listen to what he writes. He says, God is in a class by himself in his perfection and greatness and worth. He writes, he is infinite perfections, infinite greatness, 
and of infinite worth. I'll add this, you ready? As Scripture teaches us that God is love, God is light, God is perfect, God is holy, God is just. He is omniscient and all-knowing. He is omnipotent and all-powerful. He's omnipresent and He is everywhere. And so, Anthony, if that is all who God is, and let's just be honest, He sounds pretty great. What is God's glory all about? You ready? God's glory is going public with who He is. Hey, church, hear me. God's glory is going public with who He is. You know what creation's doing right here? In Genesis 1-1, and as the story of creation unfolds, all creation is going public with the glory of God. Why is it that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? For His glory. But here's what happens when we sin. You ready? When we sin, we stop going public with God's glory and start going public with our own. Hey, when we sin, we stop living for God's glory and we start living for our own. When we sin, we stop singing God's glory and we start singing our own. And sin just messes up everything, don't it? You may ask yourself, Anthony, why does it matter what we believe? concerning creation. Why does it matter if we follow along with the Big Bang Theory on page 22 of this science book? Or if we just go along with Genesis 1-1 from this book? Church, I want you to hear me. If Genesis 1-1 is not true, if it is not the foundation upon which we frame our faith, and really in reality it is the foundation upon which the gospel is built, if Genesis 1-1 isn't true, then neither is John 3.16. Neither is one of the greatest passages of the gospel in all of Scripture. We live in a culture, secular and scientific that is attempting to dethrone God, that is attempting to deny the authority, the accuracy of God's Word, that is attempting to devalue life. Hey, church, hear me. We must stand upon the truth of God's Word because here's what happens. When we stand for nothing, we will fall for anything. We must stand amidst the world that's bowing down to scientific theories like the Big Bang. Now today you might be in the room. You might be watching digitally this morning and you're an atheist. Or perhaps like a young man Wednesday night who gave his heart and his life to Jesus would say, Pastor Anthony, I've never really believed in God. Nonetheless, Genesis 1. 1. Hey, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I mean it. Even if I don't know you, I love you. And I care for you. 
Our difference is we disagree on the starting point of the origins of the universe and the origins of life. But we do have something in common. To the atheist, to the person who doesn't believe in God, we do have something in common. You, like me, are a man, you're a woman, you're a child of faith, just like I am. Because I will argue that it takes an equal measure of faith, if not more, to believe there is no God than than to believe there is a God. We both are people of faith. But here's what I ask of you. Just as I've read your books through all of my life, just as I've looked at great scientists like Stephen Hawkins and Charles Darwin and the rest, search for truth. Seek out truth. Don't have a blind faith. Because here's what I promise you. If you'll really seek out truth, if you'll really search it out, then at the end of all your searching, you are going to come to this reality that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that for God so loved the world, His creation, that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so the truth that we celebrate, the truth that we frame up today is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Why? For His glory, church. For His glory. And in closing, I want to talk about a time, as Tim Keller does, and does a great job with it, a time where it seemed as if the opposite of creation took place. Make this note. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, we see the opposite of creation. Jesus is on the cross. He has been crucified. And yet the word of life himself cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word himself who spoke all things into existence has his words unanswered and they produce nothing in this moment. The Spirit of God wasn't hovering over Jesus that day. The word forsaken means God was not there. Think of it this way. On the cross, the maker of all things had to be unmade so that you and I could be remade. The creator of all things had to be decreated so that we could be recreated. And how does he do it? Through faith in his son, Jesus. Faith in the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and he emptied the grave. Three days later, yesterday, I was driving in my truck and my heart was turned to a couple of members here at our church, Steve and Lisa Williams. Lisa Williams' daddy, Benny, a stubborn old man, had COVID, got really sick, didn't want to go to the doctor, Well, finally COVID forced it. A few days ago, Benny was put on a, on a ventilator. And yesterday, the doctor told the family, there's just no hope. We're going to make him comfortable. 
I'm going to try to help him. I'm going to try to help him pass in a good way. Well, Benny's doctor came in before they put the ventilator in, the, before they incubated him. And Benny, in and out of consciousness, before he was to be put on his ventilator, looked at the doctor, and though they had many discussions, said this to him right before the tube was to go in and he would lose consciousness. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Were his last words. Then he said those words with a peace and a hope that doesn't come from a science book or a scientific theory, but that comes alone through faith in Jesus. And right now, a couple of our church are in an IC room. I got to pray with them on speakerphone yesterday saying goodbye to their dad and their husband. And though they grieve, they do not grieve like the rest of the world because of Jesus and the hope that's found in Him. Can we pray together? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.